from the nation's capital, here is tonight's Nations Report. Good day, Turks and Caicos. It's news time across the islands for Thursday, the 29th day of September. And coming up in today's edition of the news, Five Keys gets new police outposts, the latest restoration updates, and Suriname outgoing finance minister says missing $59 million now recovered. These are just some of the headlines coming up with the details. I'm Damien Wilson. And now, here is tonight's news. Good day and welcome to today's newscast. As residents across the islands continue to be greatly concerned about the ongoing issue of crime, one of the communities most affected will see a greater police presence effective immediately. According to the Royal Turks and Caicos Islands Police Force, the Felix Morley Community Center in Five Keys District is now officially a police outpost as the building was commissioned on Tuesday of this week. The force says that this is a joint partnership between the Ministry of Education and the Sports Commission and that the police outpost will serve as a community bridge connecting the residents of Five Keys and the Royal Turks and Caicos Islands Police Force. Speaking at the commissioning ceremony on Tuesday afternoon, Superintendent Dwight Gardner said that the purpose of the community post is to allow the police to engage more closely with the people of Five Keys. Gardner said that the police, in fact, will be more easily accessible to residents. Persons can come in and air concerns, seek advice, be provided with crime prevention advice, or be assisted by officers in other ways. And they will also, on occasion, use the location for other police projects and business. Additionally, Superintendent Gardner said society's issues must be addressed with short, medium, and long-term action and strategies. He explained that the opening of the community post fits one of their long-term strategies and that will undoubtedly pay dividends down the road. Citing the Drug Abuse Resistance Education Program, or the DARE program, which has already been launched, Gardner said another program the police force is working on will be soon and will soon be starting and incorporating into the school curriculum is the Great or Gang Resistance Education and Training Program. The program focuses on prevention. It is intended as an immunization against delinquency, youth violence, and gang membership. The police say that officers have already been sent away for training so that they can deliver this program. Superintendent Gardner also noted the Police Action League, or PAL, which is a partnership with the Sports Commission. Also in attendance at the commissioning ceremony were residents of Five Keys, Premier of the Turks and Caicos Islands, the Honorable Charles Washington Mizik, Director of Sports Jared Forbes, Deputy Director of Sports Alvin Parker, Minister of Education Honorable Rachel Taylor, and Minister for Physical Planning and Infrastructure Development, the Honorable Akira Mizik.
Still in local news, as the TCI continues to rebound from the impact of the passage of Hurricane Fiona last week, the local utility companies continue to provide updates on restoration works, and it seems that the country is almost back to normal despite being directly hit by the Cat 3 storm. In its latest update, Flow TCI says that mobile and data services in Emigris Key and Pine Key have been restored and ongoing work will continue to stabilize these services. Also noting that fixed broadband for all Flow business customers in Grand Turk and Salt Key has successfully been restored and a few customers service that in a few customer services remain impacted due to a lack of commercial power. Flow says that their team continued to work in Grand Turk to restore fiber broadband connectivity to residential customers and to focus on restoring mobile and data services in Seoul Key. The team in Seoul Key continues to assess the full extent of the damage to the mobile network and to assist with the realignment exercise. The company says that restoration efforts in North Caicos include the realignment of the link between the Monaraca Hill and Stubbs Road uh, sites have been successfully completed. Teams were deployed in North Caicos yesterday to focus on restoring fiber connectivity to residential customers and bringing the First Caribbean Bank ABM system back online. Flow says that customers in areas where commercial power has been restored and who are still experiencing services service issues should report a fault by dialing 611 from a Flow Mobile if a broadband service if broadband services are still offline. Flo says that it wishes to thank the residents of North and Middle Caicos for their continued patience as they work to restore services. The company says that customers may also continue to review their account information, activate plans, purchase, and send credit to others via their Flo mobile app. And in the latest restoration news from Fortis TCI, the company says that its restoration works continue and that 98.3% of customers across the country now have electricity after Hurricane Fiona. The latest change represents an additional 130 plus customers restored in communities still and some communities still experiencing outages. The company says that as of 8.30 p.m. on Wednesday, 28th September, the number of customers restored on the island of Grand Turk increased to 90.6%. Service was restored to the majority of Baxalina, and works continue in the area to restore the remaining sections. Works are also ongoing to restore power in additional residential areas. Fortis TCI says that restoration of service to some sections of the islands have taken longer due to the complexity of the repair. The company says that its crews continue to be supported by power line technicians from their sister companies in the Fortis group to help accelerate the process. Middle Caicos remains unchanged at 55% of restoration as works continue on that island and portions of the overhead distribution lines on the courseway that connects Middle Caicos to North Caicos and the Providenciales grid received significant damage, the company said. Fortis TCI says that 
other parts of the Middle Caicos network were also damaged. As a result, sections of the network must be rebuilt to restore service to the settlements of Bombara and Laramis, and flooding in some areas also hampered their restoration efforts. Its crews have been working to connect customers in these settlements to the grid via Kunkba while the damaged areas of the network are being rebuilt. Providentiales, South Caicos, North Caicos, and Soil Key are 100% fully restored, says the company. And as we close out this section of the newscast, no confirmation yet from police if the young man seen being handcuffed and detained in photo circulating WhatsApp yesterday were actually involved in alleged in an alleged school shooting plot. However, reports via social media say that one round of ammunition was found in a backpack in the vehicle, which could be seen being searched in the photos, and that no one owned up to the round of ammunition. Therefore, all young men in the vehicle were detained by police and are still in police custody and waiting for interview. However, police have not confirmed this as yet. RTC News will continue to follow this story and bring you the latest information as we can. This brings us to the end of local news. Please stay tuned. Up next is news from the region. And turning to news out of Suriname, its outgoing finance and planning minister, Amand Achebasing, says that the 59 million Suriname dollars, which was reportedly missing from the Ministry of Finance, has been recovered, saying it was not about a scandal but a common theft. In July, the Dutch-speaking Caribbean country, which is a member of CARICOM, was rocked by a major fraud scandal in which millions of dollars had been withdrawn from the bank account of the Ministry of Finance and Planning through forged documents and receipts. The authorities said that the funds had been withdrawn from the account in April and June, with the perpetrators presenting false documents to the Central Bank of Suriname for cashing. This came to light in June on June 28th and the order was immediately blocked. The central bank subsequently indicated that two other falsified payment orders had previously been presented for the same person. These transfers had been carried out. The ministry said in a statement noting that the withdrawals were Suriname 14 million on April 25th and Suriname 26.9 million on June 14th. The Suriname government had confirmed that the withdrawal after opposition legislator Melvin Bova of the National Democratic Party, the NDP, headed by former President Desai Batise, raised the issue of in Parliament. 
Bova told Parliament that between Suriname, 500 million and 900 million had been stolen, but the government has denied the figures put out by the opposition legislator. Archibald Singh, who was that who has stepped down from office, told a news conference that he was leaving with his head held high and his pride intact because he can look everyone in the eye and say, I was born empty-handed and will go away empty-handed. Achaba Singh told reporters when asked if he will leave with a golden handshake. Maybe it sounds arrogant, but I want to see the day when someone stands in front of me and says, Achaba Singh, you ever asked or gave me something to get something done? If you can produce that person for me, I'll dig a hole. I go in and never come out may come across as arrogant, but I say it with the wide side of my mouth. President Chandrika Prasad Santaki had defended his finance and planning minister amid calls for his resignation as a result of the financial scandal. And Atima Singh said he regrets that at least two persons linked to the theft have been able to leave the country. No one has been named to replace Aman Atima Singh, but Foreign Affairs Minister Albert Ramdan and Planning and Environment Minister Salvano Tajang will temporarily act and oppose. Dr. Barbosa de Salva Jr., a national of Brazil, will be the new director of the Pan American Health Organization, PAHO. He was elected yesterday by PAHO member states during the 30th Pan American Centenary Conference. Dr. Barbosa de Salva Jr. will begin his five-year term on 1st of February 2023, succeeding Dr. Carissa Etienne of Dominica, who has led PAHO since 2012. A national of Brazil, Dr. Barbosa de Salva Jr. is currently the assistant director at PAHO, where he has led the organization's efforts to increase equitable access to COVID-19 vaccines and to enhance regional capacities to produce medicines and other health technologies. Dr. Barbosa de Salva Jr. received his medical degree from the Federal University of Parnambuco in Brazil and specialized in public health and epidemiology at the National School of Public Health Oswaldo Cruz Foundation in Rio de Janeiro. He holds a master's degree in medical sciences and a PhD in public health from the University of Campinas in Sao Paulo. Earlier in his career, he was Municipal Secretary of Health of Olinda, State Secretary of Health in Panbuco, and Director of the National Center for Epidemiology in Brasilia. Dr. Barbosa joined PAHO in 2007 as the area manager for health surveillance and disease management and is responsible for coordinating regional activities related to surveillance, prevention, and control of communicable and non-communicable diseases, veterinary public health, and health analysis and statistics. In 2011, he rejoined Brazil's Ministry of Health as Secretary of Health Surveillance and later became Secretary of Science, Technology, and Strategy. At strategic supplies prior to becoming assistant director at 
Pajo. Dr. Barbosa was director president of the Brazilian Health Regulatory Agency from 2015 to 2018. Pajo is the health organization for the region of the Americas and serves as the regional office for the World Health Organization. The election of Dr. Barbosa de Selva Jr. will be transmitted to the executive board of the World Health Organization, the WHO, for appointment as WHO Regional Director. This year, Pajo celebrates its 120th anniversary, working for over a century to improve the health and quality of life of the peoples of the Americas. Stay tuned. Up next is news on the international scene. And in the latest with Hurricane Ian, the storm which peaked at a Category 4 storm has brought severe flooding, high winds, and storm surges to Florida. The hurricane made landfall on Wednesday near the city of Fort Myers. It is expected to make landfall for a second time tomorrow Friday. The U.S. National Hurricane Center says issuing a warning for the entire coast of South Carolina. Florida Governor Ron DeSantos says the state is experiencing a 500-year flood event and warns of historic damage. More than 2.5 million Florida homes and businesses have no electricity and cities have been left submerged. One one fatality has been confirmed, a 74-year-old man outside of Orlando, Florida. Emergency crews are soaring through fallen trees to reach people who are trapped in their homes. And President Joe Biden has declared a major disaster and approved federal disaster relief funds. The powerful winds from Hurricane Ian are pushing the sea on to the coast in what the U.S. National Weather Service has called a catastrophic storm surge. Climate scientists point out there is a clear link between these powerful destructive surges and the warming of our planet. The impact is greater now than it would have been without human-induced climate change as sea levels are higher, says Dr. Liz Bentley from the Royal Meteorological Society. On top of this, warmer air that holds more moisture is compounding the flooding and the damage and misery it causes by bringing heavier rain at the same time. Dr. Reinhard Schumann from the National Center for Atmosphere science says the climate-related increase in the peak wind speed also makes surges stronger. Tropical storms already produced the strongest storm surges, Dr. Schumann added. And because climate change also slows down the speed at which hurricanes travel, a particular area can be affected by all these combined impacts of the storm for even longer. In the latest in the Russia-Ukraine war, Russia's President Vladimir Putin will hold a signing ceremony on Friday to annex four more areas of Ukraine after self-styled referendums condemned by Ukraine and the West as a sham. Russian-backed officials had earlier claimed the five-day exercise secured almost total population support. So-called votes were held in Lukansk, Donetsk, in the in Lukansk. 
Kent and Donetsk in the east, and Zarpazova and Kershaw in the south. The Russian president will make a major speech at the Kremlin. A stage has already been set up in the Moscow's Red Square with billboards proclaiming the four regions as part of Russia and a concert plan for the evening. The event echoes Russia's annexation of Crimea in 2014, uh, which also followed a discredited referendum and was heralded by the Kremlin signing, followed by a presidential victory speech in Parliament. That initial annexation has never been recognized by the vast majority of the international community, and nor will this. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky said the pseudo-referendums were worthless and did not change reality. The territorial integrity of Ukraine will be restored, and our reaction to recognition of the results by Russia will be very harsh. No independent monitoring of the Russian process took place, and election officials were pictured going from door to door escorted by armed soldiers. Tomorrow at 3 p.m. in the St. George Hall of the Grand Kremlin Palace, a signing ceremony will be held on incorporating the new territories into Russia, said spokesman Dmitry Paskov. Separate agreements will be signed with the two Russian-backed separatist leaders from the east and the two Russian-appointed officials from the south. As with Crimea, Russia's two houses of parliament will formally ratify the annexation treaties next week. The Russian president is expected to address the upper house of parliament on 4th of October, three days before his 70th birthday. The U.S. has said it will impose sanctions on Russia because of the staged referendums, while EU member states are considering an eighth round of measures, including sanctions on anyone involved in the votes. German Foreign Minister Anna Lena Babak said on Thursday that people in occupied regions of Ukraine had been taken from their homes and workplaces by threat and sometimes at gunpoint. This is the opposite of free and fair elections and this is the opposite of peace. It is a dictated peace, she said. The exercise began across 15% of Ukraine last Friday with only a few days' notice. Russian state media argued that the use of armed guards was for security purposes, but it was clear that it had the added effect of intimidating residents. You have to answer verbally, and the soldier marks the answer on the sheet and keeps it. One woman and Adahar told the BBC. Stay tuned to Radio Turks and Caicos. Up next is sports.
And in the latest cricket news, Captain Mohan Ali's fighting unbeaten half century went in vain as Pakistan successfully defended a below par total to beat England by six runs in the fifth 2020 on Wednesday. Needing 15 runs off the last over, Ali could hit just one six off debutant fast bowler. That's debutant fast bowler Amar Jamal to reach his 50 before England got restricted at 139 for 7. Mark Wood's pace had earlier dismantled Pakistan for 145 and 19 overs in the lowest total so far of the series, which Pakistan now leads 3-2. to two. David Wheely and Sam Corrin both grabbed 2 for 23. It was the second time in a row that England slipped while chasing a below par total in the seven-match series. They lost the fourth T20 at Karachi by three runs when Pakistan chipped in with the last three wickets for just one run. Ali made an unbeaten 51 off 37 balls, but Pakistan struggled that strangled England through spinners Iftikhar Ahmed, 1 for 16, and Shadab Khan, 1 for 25, in the middle overs, and the run rate kept on climbing. Today was the most disappointing performance with the bat for sure, Ali said. I felt we needed two big hits. I managed to hit one, but it was very good last over, and you can't take anything away from Jamal. Top-ranked T20 batter Mohamed Rizwan's that's belligerent form in the series continued as in as he anchored Pakistan innings with 63, his fourth half century in this series after Ali won his fourth toss and elected to field. Pakistan's middle order stumbled against Wood's pace, which got rid of Captain Barba Asim with a steep short ball and then hit the wickets of Haider Ali and powerful hitter Ashraf Ali with sharp, short pitch pace deliveries. Pakistan slipped to 100 for 7 in the 14th over when Shadab got run out in a mix-up with Rizwan as England kept coming hard with regular wickets. Rizwan also hold out a deep fine leg when he couldn't clear Karan's low few, that's low full toss in the 18th over before Wokes wrapped up the innings off his last ball when Roof was caught in the deep. England also slipped to 31 for three early in their run chase against Pacers, Roof and Mohammed Wissam, while Mohammed Nazrwis had Alex Hales caught at point in his first over. Shadab had reduced England to 54 for four when he successfully overturned an LBW decision of inform Harry Brook for through television referral in the ninth over, and Ali couldn't accelerate against both spinners. Amid then ended Dewad Malani's that's Milan's nearly run a ball knock of 36, and Jamal got his first wicket off his second ball when Sham Sam Curran hold out at leg off in the 15th over.
Ali took the game deep with a 46-run stand with Wilkes before he fell to Harris Roofs in the penultimate over. And the 26-year-old Jamal balled some superb Yorker-length deliveries to Ali in the last over to deny England the victory. It's a team game, and we believe if we are struggling in one department, the other one bowling or hitting, that's bowling or fielding, chips in, said Shadab, who was playing in his first game of the series after missing out on four games at Karachi. That's the fourth game at Karachi. Amar Jamal had a belief in himself, and we all backed him for the last over. Lahar will host the remaining two games of the seven-match series on Friday and Sunday. This ends sports, and it also ends today's newscast. Stay tuned for a look at the headlines. And looking back at the headlines for today, Thursday, the 29th day of September, Five Keys gets new police outposts, the latest storm restoration updates, and... Outgoing Suriname Finance Minister says missing $59 million now recovered. Thank you for joining us for today's newscast. For the RTC News and Production team, I'm Damian Wilson saying have yourselves a wonderful day. And, of course, if you want more news, you can log on to www.rtc89fm.com to view these and other news stories or download the RTC app in the Google Play Store. Join us again for another edition of The Nation's Report.